Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. I'm delighted to welcome Sophie Fitton to the podcast today. Sophie's sales manager at Hogan Cider, a family-run business which sources apples from small growers and uses traditional methods to create their award-winning cider. I met Sophie at an International Women's Day Brewing event at Wildcard Brewery, and she spoke so passionately about cider. So I've invited her here to tell us all about this unique drink and why we should all be championing it more. Hi Sophie, thanks for coming. Hi, thanks for having me. So you've been working in the world of cider since 2015. How did you get into it to begin with? This is actually probably not something you hear very often. Um, I responded to an advert in the newspaper. (laughs) Hogan's were looking for someone to do um, their events bars uh, and do some tastings in retailers and things. I was looking for a few hours at the weekend, so I responded and I got the job. Worked part-time for them for a few years and then started working full-time for them in 2018. Yeah. Um, and I love it. I really, really love my job. Yeah. <laughs> I think what, what I want to get across today is that maybe cider's got a bit of an image problem, I think. For a lot of people, they think, you know, a mass-produced kind of sugary drink, um, just fizzy and sweet and not really much character to it. But from what you've told me and from what I've read, there's just so much more to it than that, isn't there? There is. And I think I think um, one thing that really sticks in my mind about cider and kind of the marketing that it's had over the past, let's say, 20 years is, you know, back in the day, one of the big producers had a real kind of like lad culture around yeah. it. Um, there was loads of like advertising you know, that was just really kind of laddie and really like mainstream. And I think it, like a lot of things, like lager is probably a good example of this. It's been dumbed down for a long time yeah. and it's kind of lost a lot of its authenticity that it, yeah. that it deserves, really. Yeah. But it's one of those drinks as well that we, you know, as a country, we do really well. It, it's truly regional, you know, a bit like cheese. Everyone yeah. makes something slightly different depending on the apples that are growing there or the methods that they're using. But we're kind of just, you know, maybe we just haven't got the knowledge. So hopefully today we're going to get into that and you're going to bring a bit more of that to us. Yeah, I hope Um, I can. (laughs) Okay, so firstly, let's talk about the base materials, apples. So you've got an interesting saying, which is apples float, pears don't. Why is that important in cider making? So um, basically, when you're processing an apple, so apples grow on trees, then we pick the apples then we wash the apples, we mill them, and then we press them. Mm. So with apples, we can do this with a machine, so we don't have to hand-pick them. Yeah. 
Um, and with when you're doing that, when you're doing that with the machine, you're obviously picking up a load of grass, a load of stones, a load of whatever else is on the ground yeah. or the tree. Um, so in order to separate that, we put it through a water flume. So the apples will float and all of the rubbish will just sink to the bottom. Yeah. Pears, on the other hand, peri pears. Um, which you also make peri with. Which you? we also make peri with, which is probably one of the most undervalued products yeah. out there. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, but is the tiniest, tiniest part of the market. Um, pears will typically sink, and that means that we're going to have to process it all from all by hand from wow. the word go. So we're hand-picking pears, um, and then we're hand-processing them. So it's incredibly laborious. It's incredibly expensive. Um, but it's something that's really important to us as a product. Like, we wouldn't drop it for those those reasons. Yeah, um, yeah it's... Uh, it's it's just a lot more labour intensive. And in terms of the process of like maybe um, just a quick overview, because I've been on your Instagram and, and I saw, it, you know, the process of, of how you do, um, how you make cider at Hogan's. And it's quite, well, I'd say like clean. There's just not much involved in it in terms of adding stuff or processing, is there? Can you just talk us through like what the sort of stages? It is, it's it's lovely. Yeah. And I think it's, it's seasonal as well. So yeah. you have that kind of rhythm within the business. Yeah. So essentially what you're doing, you're picking, your apples are ripening, what, between sort of September to November. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether that's the same for eating apples, but it certainly is for cider, cider apples. Um, you're then picking them off the you're picking the machine picking the apples you're then putting them through this water flume that I spoke about a moment ago and then you're milling them into kind of like a porridge like consistency yeah. and then you're putting that porridge like consistency into we use in a big industrial press yeah. and then you're getting the juice out of the press you're putting the juice into we use stainless big stainless steel tanks and you're just leaving that juice to ferment ambiently um, which is very similar to winemaking. Yeah. Um, so you're just waiting, and it's obviously very temperature dependent as yeah. well. So if you've got a really cold snap in yeah. autumn, winter time, your cider is going to take a lot longer to to ferment than if yeah. it was a little bit warmer. Um, a good example of this, actually, this season, we were checking the ABV of our cider um, probably a couple of months ago now, and we actually noticed that the tanks that are on the outside of the shed and therefore more, uh, you know, more vulnerable to the temperature and the weather, mm. that fermentation hadn't yet finished, but the tanks that were inside the barn had finished. Wow. So you're really... Mother Nature has quite a large role to it. take. Yeah. And that that's that's really quite... I, it, I love that about it. And it takes as it will take as long as it takes, depending on weather and sugar content, and exactly. the sugar content of the fruit matters as well to begin with. Exactly. I mean, the, uh, when we're talking about sugar content, last summer, I'm sure everyone will remember it was pretty dry. It was really hot, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So the sugar content of the apples was um, a lot higher than it would usually be. So our base cider, we were trying it a couple of months ago, and our base cider's come up around eight percent. I think some of it was actually more than eight yeah. percent when typically we're looking at around seven. Yeah. And I, I thought it was really quite nice because as the economy was flunking, yeah. <laughs> we were getting this extra boost from Mother Nature just from of this Mother sort Nature, of just free, free, free booze basically, <laughs> <laughs> which makes our cider go a lot because yeah. we're typically diluting it. Yeah. It's making our cider go a lot further yeah. than it would do if it was at a lower ABV. So your bait, because one of your things is, you know, it, it's made from 100% 
apple juice. Um, but I think you said, am I right in saying it? It's is it thirty five percent that you only have to use thirty five percent legally in cider? Yeah. So legislation um, dictates that you only have to have thirty five percent fruit content. Um, I believe that that actually includes apple concentrate as well. So I think right. you can use that as your fruit content as as well as yeah. actual apples. Um, Alan made quite a funny comment the other day. He said, can you imagine if you were drinking a bottle of Bordeaux in yeah. France and you were told that only 35% of that was was grapes? Like, there'd be absolute uproar. Yeah. And he said it's, it's that real kind of smoke and mirrors that you get in a lot of industries. Um, so what's the other yeah. percentage made up of? Just like glucose, water and water? It would be, yeah, glucose, sugar. Like flavouring or something. Flavouring would typically be added afterwards. afterwards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would typically just be added sugar, added glucose syrup to do that fermentation, yeah. which, which which is where the difference in complexity comes from. If you yeah. were to try like a real commercial mainstream cider versus something that's a lot more... Um, that's got a lot. That's got a lot more apples in. Yeah. Then you're going to see a huge, huge difference in complexity. Let's go back to the wine thing because you said cider making is more like wine making than beer making. Yeah. Why? Why is that? Because just because of the purity of it. Because you're starting with this this base thing, and that's the only thing that appears in the end product. Or well. It, it, Winemaking is, we're not brewing. No. So obviously brewers are using heat. I know oh, yeah, of course. absolutely yeah. nothing about brewing. Well, very, very, <laughs> You went very to a brewing little. event with me. I did go to a brewing event with you. <laughs> I go to loads of brewing events and I sort of sit there going, oh, wow, I'm learning so much. Um, so I think we often get people say to us, oh, can we come visit the brewery? Yeah. Or, you know, oh, where's the brewery? And but it's not, yeah. It, it, it isn't um, because brewing suggests heat. You know, you yeah, brew a of cup course, of tea. Of course. Um, so yeah, it's in the same way that wine is made ambient with an ambient fermentation. Cider is made with an ambient fermentation, and it is. It's just got that lovely flow where you can. You have to know really how much cider you're going to make, going to need to make that year, because you can't just start making it in April. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, you could if you were taking eating apples out of yeah. cold store or whatever, but. For us, using cider apples, we need to know how much, approximately how much we're going to need for that following wow. year. Because I think another point you were making was, um, was it is a seasonal. I had no idea that, but, you know, if you're making it properly, it is a seasonal thing. So you would, so your your cycle starts, did you say, in April with your cider apples? So September, September to November is typically when they're ripening. Perry yeah. pears are a little bit earlier. Yeah. So we tend to start picking those in August time. Yeah. Um, they ripen quicker. But yeah, it has that real rhythm. So there's only so quick you can go. You know, yeah. a brewery, for example, could say, right, we're doing really well. We're going to double our production in the next six months. Yeah. And because they're relying on heat and they're able to kind of control that, they're yeah. in a very different different situation yeah. to us. But it's not. I, I like that about it because it kind of keeps things... It's like natural. It is, again, it reminds yeah. me of the cheesemaking thing where... There's got to be a certain amount of time to get to the, you know, the, the result that you want. You can't cheat it. You can't exactly. like, do anything else to it. You've got to kind of let it just be. And yeah. And, and obviously, like with anything, um, things change yeah. year on year. Like you're going to have a better crop from one tree 
one year than you are the next. Like you're going to have completely different. Some varieties might do really well one year and they might not do as well yeah. the next year. There's one apple variety. We don't use it because it's a... We've used it in blends before, but there's a fantastic cider producer um, called Ross Cider in Ross and Y. Yeah. And they have, they make a cider with Foxwelp apples. Yeah. Foxwelp is ridiculously acidic. Is it? It's absolutely lovely. <laughs> but it's so sort of hard to come by because it's not massively commercial. No. And as far as Albert, who who runs Ross, he, um, he said some years you'll have absolutely loads and some years you'll have nothing. Yeah. So because of that... Some varieties are going to be doing better one year than the next. So you're going to have a difference yeah. in flavour as year on year. Like with like with anything that's natural, the flavour is going to be impacted by the seasons, by the weather, by the So lots the of environment. planning. And the person who makes, I, I, I forgot, forget his name, but you've got one main guy sort of making your cider, haven't you? Sean, Sean. is our main cider maker, yeah. yeah. So he's got to kind of twist and turn and adjust to whatever's happening in the you know out there in the field and then with the weather and everything else and just be like keeping on top of all of that and just making tweaks like we he'll regularly go over to Castle Morton where our tanks are um, and he'll regularly be checking on that and seeing what the ABV is seeing what it's tasting like and all that all of that kind of stuff so yeah, yeah. You, and ultimately like we have a lot of draft customers you know our cider is on the bar and they expect a level of consistency. So we have to kind of blend our cider to make it as consistent as as we possibly can yeah. year on year. Yeah. Um, because people yeah. will be expecting if they've, you know, if they've bought a certain... How many types of cider do you make? At the we make quite a few. I think in bottle, I think we're up to about 10. Yeah, I, think, I thought about 10. Yeah, I, I should know the answer side. to that. But. <laughs> But, you know, there might be one that you've just slipped out of your memory. What You've mentioned cider apples a lot and eating apples. What's what's the difference? I like to compare it to red wine versus white wine. So a cider apple is naturally very tannic. So you can eat a cider apple. Like, it's just it. so no. bitter. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just not something that you would want to eat. Whereas, mm. obviously, an eating apple, you'd quite happily. It's very sweet. Yeah. Um, so the difference in the end product is if you're fermenting cider apples, you're getting a lot of tannin. Um, tannin, I mean, red wine's very tannic. Tea is tannic. So like, d- d- like it's almost mouth-drying tartness, isn't it? Exactly but, that. But just not unpleasant. It's nice. It's just kind of, yeah. Exactly that. And I, I always say that there's no right or wrong. Like some people have a preference for... I mean, I'm calling it East Country cider, so cider that's made with eating fruit. Yeah. Some people prefer that because they want something that's a little bit lighter, a little bit more acidic maybe, and some people prefer like a more full-bodied full-bodied cider. So I like to, if I'm doing a tasting, I like to say (laughs) your West Country cider is your red wine and your East Country cider (laughs) is your white wine. I'm sure there's loads of cider makers out there who would think that was a ridiculous comparison. Let's talk a bit about the versatility of styles because there's so many different styles out there, isn't there? Yeah. There's so, I mean, as far as what we produce, so we're looking at, we have draft cider, which is clear and sparkling. We do bag in box cider, which is cloudy and still. Uh, we do some some um, sort of 750ml bottle fermentation, which is, you know, champagne methods, yeah. um, which is exactly how the French make, make champagne. So how would you do that just for people who don't, may, perhaps don't, this I don't know? This is potentially a little bit too technical for me. Okay. Um, 
Just as far pork. You <laughs> would put so you're essentially doing the secondary fermentation to get CO two in the bottle. In the bottle, okay. so you're adding a little bit of sugar, um, and then you're fermenting. You're leaving that to ferment, which will then produce CO two, and it'll give it a natural carbonation cool. rather than having to force carbonate. Yeah, so yeah. we would force carbonate our keg product. Yeah. Um, but with champagne method, you're getting natural wow. natural carbonation. And do you make much of that per year? Do you know what? <laughs> this is quite funny. Uh, we made a really, really good perry about two years ago. And yeah. I'm, I don't know whether any of it ended up being sold. I'm pretty we sure we drank <laughs> <laughs> It was really nice. Yeah. So we've always done... Sm- I think because that isn't our thing, yeah. we've always done... We've always experimented with that kind of stuff. Um We've done bits and pieces, but it's just not our focus. Our focus is kind of sit to sit between your really niche side of producers who are doing, you know, maybe 100% champagne method cider and your big boys. We try to be like that accessible middle ground. But it's a, it is quite a small cuz I think you said there's only nine people. We're small. Yeah, yeah, we are. I think there's a perception that we're a little bit bigger than we are because we we're quite well known in the craft beer industry. Yeah. Um but yeah, we're we're tiny really. Reading like the website, I just got this sense of of real like care and kind of like you know it being such an artisan product that is it Alan who's the founder yeah Alan and Jane run the company Alan and Jane Hogan they're they're brilliant Um, and they kind of just fell into it by accident as well didn't they well Alan actually made cider started making cider in 1985 as a hobby (laughs) with this guy John who um, at Hume Mill which is a mill kind of not too far away from where they are now um This guy had no electricity, no nothing. He was completely off grid. He was completely off grid. <laughs> um, I think eventually they did get some sort of powered machinery to help them mill. Um, but I, Alan just loved the process yeah. and enjoyed it. And eventually, I guess it was about oh maybe twenty five years later, he yeah. set up business and decided to turn his hobby into a business. Um, so I guess yeah. the only thing that changes is slightly bigger machinery. Yeah, bigger machinery. And I, yeah. but I think, do you know what I think it's really not changed with us? It's values. Like our whole business has been driven, is driven by values. Yeah. And that is huge. Like, because it, it makes everything like a very easy yes or no. Like we've never, we a few years ago, some of the bigger cider producers were getting bought out by the big sort of global breweries. Yeah. And we lost loads of our bread and butter accounts, like our kind of local accounts, because it was all became a bit oh, of a really, yeah. a bit of a pricing game. And it was like, okay, well, we, in order for us to compete on price, we're going to have to change the way we make our cider. We don't want to do that. Yeah. So we took quite a big risk and started and said, right, okay, what's happening out there that fits for us? Um, and that's where we sort of, particularly in Manchester, we saw this whole craft beer thing was kicking off and we thought, okay. right, okay. So they've got 10 amazing beers. They've got a global-owned cider on the end or no cider at all. We can piggyback on this and we can sort of sell our cider to a market that cares about provenance. Yeah. And that's what that's what we did. So rather than the race to the bottom, we stuck to how yeah. we wanted to make our cider. We just had to find a different market in which to do that. What's the process when you're when you're style? trying to think about a new a, yeah a new bottle a, a new style to put out there? Um, we've taken quite a lot of leaves out of the craft brewers book. Really? So 
Because I saw were, you had a sour, which I was really interested yeah. in. Yeah. So that was, um, we ferment that with a Britonomyces yeast. I don't know if you're familiar with Britonomyces. No. So that is typically <laughs> the yeast that would make a um, sour beer sour. Yeah. So, okay, you've got kettle sours and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, when you're looking at the more traditional sours, sort of your Belgian sours, yeah. um, you're looking at those types of yeasts, okay. so a, a Britonomyces yeast. And that gives it a sour character. So... We, rather than kind of go down the route of saying, oh, right, let's make a range of 10 different fruit ciders because that part of the market's going crazy. We were like, how do we keep it interesting for ourselves? How do we show how diverse we can be? And it's quite fun as well. So we started messing around with different yeasts and processes. And that's kind of how we've ended up where we are now. Um, That sour is my absolute favourite. I love it. Yeah, it's called... Killer Sharp. Killer Sharp, yeah. Because I looked on the... Everyone was recommending that one. You know, that that was their favourite one. I was like, what is that? And I looked it up. It looked really good. It's so good. And and we also do... We do a fruit fermentation with Brett yeast as well. Um, And that's... We call that Got Anything Fruity because we were... Running bars. Oh, because people were saying, yeah, you've got a fruit. My, my mum. Got anything fruity? My mum loves a fruity cider. <laughs> she loves a rhubarb cider, which I think rhubarb and cider go together yeah, really I do. well. It's yeah. a really nice kind of match, isn't it? Because that's a slightly naturally sour thing. It's so, got that tartness about it that, yeah. that it that it brings to it. The other thing I really love about it is the the sense that, you know, it it's kind of supporting the local ecosystem as well. Yeah. You know, because you're um, I know that not a lot of cider growers have their own orchards, but they will have local farms that grow uh, apples for them. That's the case with yeah. you guys, isn't it? Yeah, we don't own any orchards. We buy all of our apples from um, small farmers. Yeah. Um, I mean, some are literally, they just happen to have an orchard. And and that fruit, a lot of that fruit would go to waste if it wasn't used, yeah. particularly if the cider, in, if the cider, if everyone in the cider industry went down the route of using less and less apples. Yeah. You know, eventually those orchards would disappear, and we wouldn't have. We'd lose a lot of that, a yeah. lot of that heritage. Yeah, that's great. And actually, you said, I love this fun fact: cider is good for you. <laughs> <laughs> cider is good for you. Please drink responsibly. Um, phenolics. I've, I just had to ring Jane to ask her how you pronounce that because I just <laughs> forgot it. Um, yeah. So there is that argument. That's... It's got there's phenolics and. Phytochemicals, yeah, which are both good for you, yeah. So if you were going to have your one drink a week, <laughs> make it a really, really, really good cider. Exactly, and do you know what? Make it a strong cider because yeah. there's probably more of it in there. Yeah. And last, you were just going to touch a little bit on sustainability because you said you love the the, the message that it's got sustainable wise. I love it. It's 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 one of those where it's like you've got. So, you know, we all know about photosynthesis. Like, as the trees are growing, as the fruit's being produced, you know, we're we're putting oxygen back into the environment. And then I love the kind of full circle element of it. So trees growing, we're taking CO2 in, the oxygen's going out. And then as we're then fermenting our cider, that CO2 is being released again back into the atmosphere and it kind of closes the circle. Yeah. So, you know, if you're looking, we spoke briefly about champagne method, you know, some of that CO2 is coming back out of the cider and producing the carbonation in, yeah. in a bottle of cider. And it's just got that kind of lovely full circle element to it. And, yeah, yeah and, you know, the fruit, the sheep graze in the, they eat the apples, they, they you know, there's, there's just a really nice 
nice element to it. It feels very it. like idyllic English countryside thing, yeah. you know, just lying in a field drinking cider. And it is. <laughs> like, it is really like that. It Love is, it. Obviously, you know, business is business. It's always going to have its hurdles. But, um, but it does have yeah. that. What would you say to listeners who are, you know, are excited by the idea, idea of cider? When they're going out to look, what, what the sh- should they just be looking for? I guess they can, you can do research, can't you? Go and research the company and how, I mean, I was amazed at your website, how much information there is there about how you produce your cider. Yeah. And you kind of look at it and you go, wow, they're really putting the work in. We we do try to be really transparent yeah. and and honest about what we do. And I think it's, you know, it's having a point of difference as well. Like, how yeah. do we how do we communicate that yeah. to, to people? Um, yeah. I think if people are looking for good cider it i mean there's some great there's some great online retailers out there you yeah. know who really care um maybe just order a selection and find some because yeah, you you've got to yeah. taste it don't you until you find the one that kind of suits your palate exactly well. and ultimately i think there's a lot of language that's used inside a description that just isn't accurate so quite often you'll see you'll have someone go into a bar and they'll say oh can i have a dry cider yeah. and they're not necessarily looking for a dry cider they're just looking for a cider that isn't, isn't a fruity yeah. cider or something like that so i think it's about understanding what people are actually looking for yeah. and, and understanding a bit a bit themselves yeah. um i mean there's some great pod there's some really really passionate cider people out there and there's some yeah. great podcasts and things um but some people do prefer that kind of lighter cider yeah, some people fine. do love you know, like a mass-made cider, that's what they prefer. And yeah. it's just about kind of, I suppose, just trying it. Yeah, and a bit more experimental. Yeah. yeah, and understanding that, yeah, it isn't all sweet and it isn't all sweet yeah. and fizzy. Knowing that it's out there. If you want it, there'll be a there'll be a style of cider out there for you. Don't think that exactly. that mass-produced cider is the only thing. I think that's the message, really, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I just take such great pleasure in, if, if I'm doing a tasting or something, we yeah. sometimes do them at a wine shop or something like that. It is... There is nothing better than someone saying, oh, my God, I love this. This <laughs> yeah. is so good. I usually drink X, but, oh, this is so good. Yeah. I really love this about it. Because you think, God, they're actually really engaged with what yeah. we're... And, and we've surprised them. And yeah. I think that's lovely when you can surprise somebody with something that they perhaps think is quite a simple drink. Well, hopefully this will inspire people to go out and, I hope and try. So. Um, and if they want to... Um, go to cider festivals. Yeah. That's the other thing. There's so much of that so stuff around. So many of them, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. If they want to check out um, you guys online, your, your Instagram's really good. And as I said, there's a brilliant video on there which shows you the whole process. And that's at Hogan Cider. Um, all one word on Instagram. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for coming to chat to us, Sophie. I've learned so much today. It's been brilliant to see you. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.